the Sports Career Podcast, episode 282. How can data analytics improve your marketing skills in the football industry? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest with regards to data analytics, marketing and pursuing a career in the football industry. I hope today's episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's episode, this week's podcast special guest is Bas Schnitter. Bas is a senior consultant data analytics at Sports at Ernst & Young, where he specializes in data science, particularly with regards to customer experience, fan engagement, and also data analytics. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Bas as a podcast special guest on the show, and he's been a real hit list to have on and I'm so grateful that he's here and for that reason I cannot wait to dig deep with regards to his sports crew journey and share with you how data analytics can support you as a marketer in the football industry. Bass, it's a real joy to have on the podcast show. You've been on like sort of my hit list for a very long while so thank you for so much for coming on the show. Please share to listeners your sports crew journey. When did it all start? Thanks, first of all, for having me on a podcast. Really excited for that as well. Now, straight into the material. Uh, when did it start? It started actually in 2007 when I had to choose what I wanted to study, what my bachelor degree was going to be after here, in, here in, in, in the Netherlands. You're 18, you end middle school, and you kind of have to choose what your bachelor is going to be. And I wanted to... Um, my mom was always pushing me, go do this, do that, to go be, do business or whatever. But I found that kind of boring and I wanted to find this sauce within the business that kind of fit me better. And yeah, uh, I like to do sports. I like to watch sports. So then I found this degree, sports marketing, which is a good combination between business and uh, marketing, but with the sports sauce over it, which yeah seemed to me as in... Uh, uh, being easier to digest so that's where it all started 2007 which is geez now already 15 years ago yeah and really quickly you said boring is it because there was no real interest with the business side like it was the old style of business because if i'm correct gosh we're going back up 15 years ago like social media was just kicking into play that sort of time like it people were like you know what's mind space if i'm correct they were around started out so my, my point is, like, you said a really key word, like, you thought business, like, was boring, but really marketing is business, but you wanted that sports application of it. So I'm really curious of why that word boring, but what filtered you to sports marketing? Because marketing is a huge concept in all walks of business, if that makes sense, not just sports. Well, I had many interests. Researched if I was going to do journalism, if I was going to do psychology, 
so this this interest of of yeah, journalists as a journalist tr trying to figure out what's happening in the world as a psychologist you would do the same but then with individuals so that interest of humans have I've always had and the regular business stuff yeah that's that's kind of boring wearing your suit nine to five go to job go to work and stuff and sports of course has this extra layer to it and not knowing what this would all lead to obviously but yeah to me it found uh, I it looked like okay sport this sports marketing slash sports business degree would it would at least give me that that business background which I don't think any child uh, dreams uh, of doing when he's four years old we want to be uh, yeah we want to be fireman policeman superhero whatever we never decide hey I want to become a CEO or a businessman so but yeah, it's it's a useful degree. Let's be honest. But then with the sports sauce over it, it kind of makes it easy to, easier to digest. It was more sports entertainment, so also the music industry, which is obviously because I'm from Amsterdam, so that's a that's a clear uh, yeah that makes a lot of sense. That's the choice that I made back then, and yeah, I don't can definitely say that I don't regret it. Just going back to that decision of doing that sports marketing degree, looking back right now, how has that supported you now? Looking back, incredibly, because. I think your degree is your first step up into an industry. It's the first kind of move that you can make to explore an industry. And honestly, a lot of people that a lot of people end up not in the industry what they initially studied. Uh, so that's already kind of unique if you end up in, in the industry of, of something that you studied. I want to just dig into because what I found fascinating is like back in 2007, there were professional sports like I'm going back to like some of my sports in the UK, stick to rugby. It was probably very early on in being a professional sport. So executives were being professional in these roles. Like it's still a really young industry. That's the point I'm trying to share to listeners right now. So looking back those 15 years, like how has the professionalism of being a sports marketer evolved in this sports industry? Ooh, a lot. I mean, it's the same with football here. I mean, uh, we, we all know that the, the English football is more advanced than the, the football under it and La Liga has picked up in the last 15 years and stuff. We all get that. But here in the Netherlands, especially because we're always understaffed, the, the development of the, of the discipline has not been as far as, as you see in, in the big five uh, leagues. And if I would compare to what I learned from study programs, which are always years behind where the reality sits at that moment, because it takes a bit of time for a study curriculums to pick up the reality, that's normal. I learned there a lot about the basics of, of business, of course. How do you make like the five forces of Porter uh, model, those kind of things, but also what does it mean to be a sports marketer? And basically they said with with at the end of this program, you'll be able to better understand what sports sponsorship is about and make the right sports sponsorship uh, matches between the, the, the right brands and the right sports. And you could be a, a player agent. And those were basically a bit of the payoffs that they had. And it didn't go beyond sports sponsorship because that was still very much in the focus of what we had. Now, we know that in the last 10 years, basically this fan engagement domain has exploded. But um, 15 years ago, fan engagement was, was not mentioned once. Fa fans were, oh yeah, another group of stakeholders, by the way, those are fans. And that, that irritated me and that provided some early triggers for me of, hey, wait a minute, I'm a season ticket holder at Ajax. 
where in these programs am I being discussed? When, when, are, when are we going to talk about what I want as a football fan? And that was sort of like a latent thing in my mind going on, yeah, until uh, the end of the program that I, that I moved to Australia. So, Okay, hold on. We, we, we'll talk about fan engagement very, very soon. But going back to like from a practical standpoint, from like your experience, what qualities do you need to be a sports marketer right now? Like if you had to just give like those basic ingredients of a, a modern marketer, what would they be relating to your experience? Ooh, that's a good question because I think that the sports marketer is not per se one, one role anymore. I think you have a bit of, say, you have a bit of the, the, the sports marketing strategists these days. If I think about some clubs in the UK, for example, that, that they know a bit more from how they are structured, you see a lot of uh, insights and data analysts, which are also sports marketers, but you also see brand specialists, which are also sports marketers. You also see strategy officers, which are also sports marketers. So where 15 years ago, these three disciplines were combined into one role. And still a uh, reality is that a lot of clubs still have these three disciplines combined into one role. Is that you've seen over the last few years that the mar marketing discipline by itself has become way more complex because other than doing your standard pieces of research of understanding the audiences now also data has been added which is an extremely valuable extra source of knowledge not a replacement source an extra source of knowledge cannot emphasize that enough but that's now why how i what i think that is a very important um, hard skill in in the marketing domain so really and also i assume the third part is that creative side of using that data to then build a campaign off it to, to market whatever the objective from the data in the first place is. So I want to emphasize this now because you sort of opened up a can of worms and I'd like to dig deep even more, but, uh, and I want people to also learn that you don't have to be good at all those three roles. Like, but from your experience, like where's the first one to start to then find which area suits you then being good at being out. Like what I'm trying to say is I've learned the best people in the sports industry are great at one thing than being average on a range of tasks. I love your viewpoint of that as well, but it's just something I've learned with the people I've interviewed on the show. It depends on the size of the organization always, but I think that the, the bigger the organization, the more specialists they look for, because the more they have a team of specialists together, a team of specialists together is like, um, like, a, like an orchestra. By itself, it's great. Uh, piano is an amazing instrument by itself, but add five other instruments together and all of a sudden you have a team playing together and they are deliver they are able to deliver far better songs than only the pianist now we all know these these <laughs> these these guys on the in the shopping streets as well they play five instruments at the same time just by themselves with the the, the harmonica yeah harmonica and the, and the drums in front of him and his foot is another instrument it kind of sounds okay and that's kind of maybe the resemblance on how the the the, the market the, the general marketeer uh looks like he's kind of playing everything at the same time and it sounds okay uh and it could work it's music but it's not the, to the high quality that you want to find now reality is also that not all organizations can afford their orchestra so and that's, that's a bit of the focus from the sports industry. 
where do I put my money? Do I put it on the pitch or do I put it in my uh, in my organization? Often the, the uh, senior club executives think, hey, that one guy that plays five instruments, he's great, so I could put more, more money on the pitch. Yeah, reality, we all know that's not really the best solution, but that's a matter of choice. So, so what is uh, the best solution? Just give this on a basic standpoint. I know we could talk a whole two podcasts on this topic, but from a basic learning perspective of particularly people who want to start a career in this sector like what it would be your your explanation of the, the best way um if that makes sense find at least two specialists uh together for example the reason that uh, that me and jeff that we work so well together is because jeff is a specialist in strategy in branding um and that's something i'm not now my uh, specialties lay in the fan engagement general area in, in match experience and stuff, but also in the data area, which are skills Jeff does not have. So sort of see us then as a two man band where we both are good in a couple of, uh, in a couple of disciplines at the same time. And we're unique. We're complementary to a complementary to the other. So that's, that's, that's where I would say start, not, not find one person that's good at everything. Find two people that are good at different things. Okay, just leading on to this, like how important is collaboration you've experienced, particularly working in the sports industry, instead of like doing everything yourself, the power of collaboration can lead to more exciting opportunities for both parties. I love your viewpoint on that as well. Yeah, well, collaboration is everything. I mean, it's it's something that I've, I've always been been looking after, uh, myself as well. When I was working at the club at AZ, for example, let me give you a very clear example, is that where clubs are usually keeping their kitchens closed for other clubs because they don't want to show what, what, they're, what they're cooking, why is that? That's, that may, maybe it makes sense in London, where you have so many different clubs together and you're all fighting for the same audience. But here in the Netherlands, for example, and that's reality in most of the countries, is that your club has a geographical area that is not overlapping with any other club. So why not learn from each other? And that was my mindset as well when I started at the club. I was like, hey, do we ever have conversations with FC Twente or FC Utrecht, for example? No, nobody did. So I started up a WhatsApp group, um, adding all the marketeers into that, because if someone in Twente was doing something great, that may work for me at Azad Alkmaar as well. And therefore we can learn from each other and that works the other way. And that provided a cultural shift as well for getting to getting into this knowledge sharing mindset. And that I think is something that, that is always at, at football academies, that's always promoted uh, knowledge sharing, becoming the better you, but as organizations, that doesn't always happen because you, that you fight each other on the pitch but it doesn't mean that on a business level, you're yeah, that your competitors as well. And and yeah, I, I challenge that. And that's something that I found was very useful in the end. So just on that point, I love that phrase you use, knowledge sharing. I assume if you'd achieved that from that group you started on WhatsApp, I assume it elevated everybody at the same time. Because even if I'm talking out loud, if let's say two people had the same strategy of knowledge, I assume the results be different because whoever they did it towards their target audience, they may get different results. So that's the beauty of sharing because everybody's growing, right? Is that 
the point you're trying to say as well? Like, I think I love that phrase, but sometimes we think com- competition versus competition, then actually growth together, but you may get different results. I just, I'm, I'm trying to lead back to the data side of things as well. This is a sad point. Yeah. Well, an example, yeah, an example is that FC20 got a lot of, uh, got a lot of supporters from around the area. So not within good biking reach as we as we would do it in the Netherlands but uh, actually from a lot of small villages around so what they've set up is some sort of a network that with each home game 50 buses organized by the club would drive around through these villages to pick up the people to come to the stadium and this network of of uh, sort of like a amateur club alliances is something that a lot of Clubs, other clubs were able to copy simply because it worked really well with FC Twente and they they were able to share their learnings. And I learned a lot from FC Utrecht, who was very specialized in data. So they were the first ones in the league that were uh, working a lot with retention campaigns, and they were they were really ahead of uh, ahead of the rest. And since that data sharing or that knowledge sharing mindset came about. That's actually when you could see that other clubs were pulling up from each other. They were kind of saying like, okay, I can focus on this because I can copy what the other club is doing. And then I have both areas growing. And just to lead to today's podcast topic, because I want to dig into it, because you sort of mentioned the word data and fan engagement in particular. But right now, like you said about you know, last 10 years fan engagement has been sort of a, a, a lot more of a priority. You've been an IX fan, like being a season ticket. Like looking back, how has this opened up a market from an industry standpoint? Like fan engagement has its own right because it's somewhat, so, you know, it's a top person you're serving. So just for people who like, Ashley, Ed, I want to work in fan engagement. Like what are the starting blocks there? Like it's not just being a fan. That's the point I'm trying to mention. There's a lot more to it than that. That's true. And I like to think that the whole sports industry is about the fans, where in reality, of course, it's not really. It's There's there's a lot of other pieces to the puzzle. But um, let me bring you all back to the story where we started with this. When in 2007 that I, I did this, this bachelor's program, um, there was still a pretty heavy economic crisis kicking around. So um, bringing back the mindset of clubs back then it was more like okay what which sources of revenue can we guarantee the most and which sources of revenue are the quickest for us to maintain and that led to a sponsorship mindset so focus was off fans and it was mostly on sponsors because um yeah one sponsor gives you a half a million where uh it takes a lot of work to get the same amount of money from fans. So of course the biggest focus was on the sponsors, which in the sense of time back then I get, but what we kind of forgot as a sports industry is that the fans are the ones in the end, the catalyst for everything. If we've seen this with the COVID pandemic as well, matches were extremely boring in the beginning when there were no fans being added as audio sounds, for example. Because without the fans, there's no no stadium experience. There's no product. Your product is it's a bad product to sell uh, for for TV, for example. So that that showed really that with the fan focus should come back. But I've seen also in the last ten years that that fan focus have kind of has kind of 
come back because the crisis was over and it was going well again and revenue streams started to uh, uh, pump up again for clubs and now we were able to focus again on on a bit more on the fans and there were these early adopters like seattle sounders like manchester city uh, that i saw at a conference in sydney speak about these areas about improving fan experience and stuff and that's for me also the first moment that i thought hey wait a minute that was in 2012 this fan engagement area. So there are clubs that are actually focused on this. And that was, that was first around research, match day, uh, match day analysis, um, uh, sending out surveys. Now that was fan engagement back then. Then it became social media. Then it became social media analytics. Then it became sponsorship activation. Now it's something with data also. So, as far as the marketing the, uh, the marketing discipline changes all the time, so does fan engagement because it is a marketing. It's a sub subdivision of marketing. And with regards to like the two-year period, I like these podcasts to be evergreen, but actually this is quite an important factor. If you look at when there was no fans, the one that I think was a great experience was the NBA. They had like digital screens of the fans watching the game, you know, and it just created a different perspective from streaming. Like, how is this streaming aspect of an experience going to elevate data decisions from a fan perspective? Because I assume that's going to be the, you know, the future because there's only so many seats in a stadium. Now with COVID, there's that streaming element of a different perspective. So I just love your thoughts on that. Well, let me bring this back to a communications field. That's that's in the end, my, my master's degree is in communication. So I'll strive and I did that for these kind of reasons. And the communications field, basically what, what's always been taught there is that they say, people used to say uh, TV was, was appearing and this was the death to radio and people would become mindless zombies. Reality was that was not the case. People find their way to allocate their time. They allocate their eyeball hours. And even though um, uh, streaming is there now, and we'll have metaverse or whatever, but streaming is there now, but that's more to provide access to the groups that are not able to come to the stadium. And indeed, in a globalizing world, streaming is, is helping us to reach those fans in India that also want to see what's, what's going on. Now, is that a replacement, streaming? I don't think so. And maybe for a couple of people, it would be because... I don't know, for, for reasons you could research, they, it, it costs less or whatever. But um, everybody who's been to the stadium knows that that stadium feeling cannot be replaced, not by Oculus, not by uh, having live streaming with amazing uh, blubber, uh, uh, blubber fields uh, like, the, like Nickelodeon does. Nothing beats the stadium feeling. So I'm not that scared that this would eventually mean that less people would go to the stadium because that's that's in that's the ultimate feeling but streaming just expands reach okay and here's another one go you're you, you really getting me thinking out the box now from a curiosity standpoint from a sports market <laughs> perspective how is everything now from an online perspective all about grabbing that attention like for me i think that's the hardest thing now by having everything online or even at a stadium, it's grabbing that attention. Like, for example, I went to an NFL game at Twickenham, gosh, four years ago, and it's about a four-hour game for a 45-minute match. It's just how it works in an NFL game. So how, how important from a marketer standpoint, online or fan engagement side, is that attention of human behavior? I love your thoughts on that as well. Attention is everything because there's 
way more competition in the market for attention. And this is going to be the super cliche kind of answer that everyone has already given at conferences. But we know the Netflixes and uh, they're the whole the whole um, uh, business model of these super tech companies is about grabbing your attention as long as possible. And they you need to be on the phone on, on the app or whatever. And that type, that um, attention gets chewed off the sports sort of your sports time. So um, it's very it's it's a difficult market plus sports is not by itself that's something that sports industry has realized over the last 10 years more and more as well sports is not we're unique no you're part of an ecosystem of entertainment where sports is a single bit in and people can spend their money on sports but they can easily spend their money <clears throat> on going to the theater or going to movies so in the sense of eyeball hours it's becoming more and more difficult and either you compete with some other form of piece where you can spend your time on or you're consuming it off sleep and that's also what's happening with humans we're sleeping less and less because we have too many stuff to do during the day so it's <laughs> quite a difficult uh, battle you've answered it beautifully because this is what i mean like marketing is about that creativity relating to data and also hopefully creating good change so out of interest relating to you mentioned jeff already with you work within with that fan engagement sort of uh, model, like with the attention model then, could you just break that down a little bit for people to learn more about what you and Jeff did? Because I've sort of had Jeff on the show, wow, gosh, four years ago, and you're so spot on about his marketing mind of marketing, but could you just share that little project you've done in a bit more detail, but also relating to that attention aspect you've just mentioned beforehand? Yeah, so... If it's four years ago, I think it's about time to get Jeff on the podcast again because he's, he's always <laughs> absolutely yeah he's always less interesting to listen to. Does take some practice with his accent, but as soon as you're as you're getting through that, it's very interesting always to listen to. Yeah, um, plus I hope I will get the experience. I still have a lot to do to before I get the experience that he has. But um, yeah, what we did with the the growing attendance model, I think you're you're aiming at. Yeah. That's it. So mm -hmm. what the process that we went through there is with our consulting practices, we talked to a lot of sports organizations, football organizations. I talked to a lot of clubs. He talks to a lot of national associations, uh, to FIFA, UEFA, whatever. And we kind of noticed that we always were getting the same questions back. And it was, it was always about the, there were groups of questions. One group of questions are, what is our identity? What are we good at? Uh, can you as consultants find that out, figure that out? Other parts were how can we apply fan engagement? Uh, where does data sit? And all these these building blocks, they never really got, only a very few organizations got these building blocks set on the right place. And we what we um, thought that would help the industry, and that's why we did it for free as well. It was not a model that we sold or whatever. It was a free model to put out there in the industry. But what we did is just to zoom out, think back on, okay, what are the basics for a football club? What, what do you need to understand most? You cannot have a solid marketing story if you don't, don't understand what you stand for, if you don't know who you are as a club. And it's, it's quite difficult for brands. Brands are always trying to find what is my creative angle because Let's face it, back in the days, 
500 years ago, we were buying products from people. So if I would need a bread, I would you would go to the local baker and you would buy bread and you would know the baker and he would ask you how your family is, how's your how's your daughter, or is she going well at school, blah blah blah. And this is the the these human connections that we have as humans, this need to connect and to be part of a network. That is what what works perfectly for humans. That's what that's what we what we need. We're not individualists. We're group animals. And that's a, that's an important factor to uh, to understand. Where now we are not buying our bread anymore from a baker, but we're buying our bread from a brand, and we're buying our cereals from a brand. And with Quaker, for example, they created this persona, the the, the Quaker brand. It's a brand. It's a factory somewhere that creates the product that you used to buy from a local Quaker. So they put a Quaker on the box. And what I'm trying to go to is that brand, the branding element is now so competitive. It's It doesn't only decide what we purchase, but it also decides what we spend our time on, uh, what we find important in life. And this is a difficult, um, difficult thing to understand for brands because brands do not have by nature a, uh, a reason to be alive. They're alive to make money. Brands in nature are alive to make money. They need to sell their products. So they're looking for this unique story. And us as persons, we always have this story. Now, the same goes for a football club, but in a very different way because football clubs do exist because humans came together and said, hey, we like this sport, we like this football, and this is what we do. And that happens in the, happened in the mines in North of England and in the South of England, it happened. And all of a sudden the people started to group together because of the network feeling, we need to be part of a group. And you know what, we could, um, we live in the South of England. We wanna start, we heard as these other groups started to emerge in the North of England in the mines, let's see if we can start playing games against them. So it was not only these 11 against 11, but it was these 11 were representing this group that was fighting this other group on the pitch. That's it. You're testing my education now from my degree. You know, <laughs> going back to football, you know, it all sta started, um, you know, Arsenal was a factory and there were owners, yeah. you, know, you know, and then if I'm correct, you test me, Fulham was a pub team originally and it's a community aspect. So really quickly here, this is really key with the brand element, but just going back to your research with Jeff, like from all the conversations you had, all the metrics, all the data, what one piece of data you found fascinating, which you thought, oh, that could be the future of a club moving forward. Like, did you have any aha moments from the feedback you got, which could sort of predict in a way where it should move forward from a, a club identity or club as a improving its metrics or data i'm just really curious of what metric i'll build on to that but let let's let's quickly grab the end of the story uh that i, that I was making and because that those stories understanding who you are as a football club be, those are the foundations of where you're going to build on so the the lowest three building blocks are about vision uh vision mission and cultural uh heritage those four building blocks, those are the most important. We always say for clubs to understand why are you alive? What is the reason that you are a club today? Because that, in the end, is your story to build the rest on. And then comes the pillars of research. Who are the people that are uh, 
who, who are the people that would fit my story, for example. Often it's geographically uh, defined, but it could also be for very different reasons. Um, uh, that's, that's the first part. Then there's, uh, oh, let me think back. There's the, re there's the research part. There's the communications building block. So for example, Arsenal, the Gunners, the fact that they do not disapprove that they are nicknamed Gunners. In fact, in their logo, I think they're still the, 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 the Arsenal uh, kind of thing. That's part of their story. If I were Arsenal, I would kind of see if I could expand on that a bit more because that's in the end the, the, the heritage. But it's way easier for people to, to buy the story of something that has naturally grown like that than a story that is being created. Let me give an example, Leeds United. I think we all know still the story about the, the logo they changed and everybody uh, was was protesting against it. Like, what, what are you guys doing? And there's a completely different identity that they try to 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 um, yeah to stick to. And that's, that's, that's how you see that people, the humans, we need those stories. And those stories are the best building block for your strategy marketing. Sorry to interrupt a bit like Newcastle, though this is before the takeover, but St. James's Park was going to be renamed and that didn't Okay, well, yeah, that if I'm correct. Exact story I didn't Newcastle. follow, but yeah. It, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's identity. It goes back to your first pillar of value, yes. story, like, and, and just relating to that foundation bit, God, we're digging <laughs> deep now, but how does that create a domino effect with regards to that sort of that model you did with the growth aspect? Like how is the foundation, why is the foundation vital to create the domino effect of building that growth for the club, but also with regards to fans and attendees? Like love your thoughts on that. Because there's a reason why um, fans become fans of you as a club. Very often it's geographically defined. So you are from the region of where, uh, uh, I don't know, Burnley is from or whatever, where you, you are from that region, therefore you support that. And you're, because your parents, uh, your dad or your mom brought you there and his dad or his mom brought him there. So that, that's kind of the, the, the linkage often where, how you get uh, uh, to, these, uh, to this fandom. Now, this is very different than in the US, for example, where in the US, sports uh, clubs are franchises. And if they don't, have enough commercial ben uh, commercial revenues, they move teams. They could move somewhere in a different city of the state, or they could even move to a completely different state to set up a new, to set up the club there, or to just all of a sudden out of, the, out of nothing, uh, clubs appear. I have to say, Americans are very good in their marketing stories in that. They do know how to create this, this brand, this, this, um, uh, plastic brand, uh, plastic branding, and the because the, the the audience is is willing to digest that. But try something like that in the UK, no chance. In entire Europe, no chance. We have our stories. With these stories uh, come from the history. I know the history from Ajax, for example. So this is very important story to to maintain. And um, the fact that Ajax, for example, let me dig deeper into that. Ajax is still known for being the club that always had the, the, the very good youth academy and it went with Johan Cruyff and later on we got the, the, the group of 1995 with Patrick Kluivert, David Seedorf, whatever, so many good players, Louis van Gaal as a coach. That is something that Ajax is still 
expanding on. So their story that they've rebuilt over the last, say, five years when they had these successes in the Champions League, they pulled back that story and said, hey, this is again another golden generation that we are. We're Ajax. And as soon as Frenkie de Jong went to Barcelona, they had this incredible campaign with a bus driving through the city with a big photo of, of uh, Frank de Jong's shirt on it and saying, uh, congratulations, uh, Barcelona. Uh, I don't know, have fun with him. Stuff like that. Ajax knows its role of we are the... At our club, uh, stars are born, and that's that's what they are, what, what their story is that, that they're selling, and that's also I think one of the reasons why so many people now have such a, such a good interpretation of Ajax as a brand because they really they they know what they're good at and they've embraced that as a story, and that's far more natural to like than some fake story that uh, that you would see. Uh, in or outside of sports industry that is just completely pulled out of thin air because there's no consistency in that. Okay, you mentioned about having a powerful story from a club perspective, but how important is it to have a powerful values behind a club? Like that must be just as important from that side of things. I love your views. I'll give you one example. Lewis FC, a team that decided to make their men and female players get paid the same. It's part of their core values. And it adds value to their like story as well of what they're about. They're a value-driven club than just a football club on and off the pitch. So I'm just curious of your point being, you know, from a data analytics, what we've discussed in all this conversation, how does values have a component or an element to a club story or brand? Cool. You're trying, you're trying to merge values and data analytics together, which is very difficult. So I can, I can say something about the values part. I think it's, it, that's, those moves are completely something of this time. And that's great because this is a wider societal debate. Do women and men, should they uh, earn the same? Of course. Then why is that not happening inside a football club? And this, because this is so much a discussion for, of this time, clubs that understand that they do not operate in isolation, they're not this on this unique island, but they're actually completely ingrained and connected with a local and a national community, then these are things that need to happen, uh, need to be discussed on club level as well. Another example, uh, Mark Overmars has just been fired at Ajax because he was apparently uh, toxic inappropriately to women which is a massive debate in the Netherlands at the moment because at the Voice of Holland, it's cancelled because that's where the coaches were doing that as well, which by itself, again, is a bigger discussion because that's what's happening in Europe and in Western Europe, for example, where, okay, what is the role of men versus women? These are events do not happen in isolation. And if you understand as a football club, hey, this is something that happens in society, and you understand that you are, you are able to make such a strong point as, as such a small club, because in the end, club, football clubs in the wider, in the wider debate are, are only playing a small role. But if they understand, hey, a lot of these people in this society are looking at me, if we make this move, it's a very strong, it will, have, it will hopefully have a very strong ripple effect to the rest of the conversation. Therefore, firing Mark Overmars, good because you should not text inappropriately if if colleagues don't want it it's the same with the club that you said if these clubs are starting to pay men and women the same hopefully that will create a ripple effect and those i think those are incredible values that are very hard not to like 
as well. So that's that's I think a very strong message. Just on the data side of things, just for the listeners, because we've talked all sorts now from a marketing standpoint. Like, where's the where's the best place to start with data? Like from a learning slash career perspective, where's the best place to start? Because really quickly, you could have people who do data analytics in some other industry and then transition into sport. It's one of the most popular, without a doubt. So for people who've done what, the sort of journey you've done, didn't know about your communication masters. That's fascinating, by the way. But just from a listener going, okay, Bass, you've shed a heck of a lot here, but where's the sort of starting point of data like the one i have to mention she's been twice on the show fiona green with winning i know you're connected with her like for me that would be a stepping stone but i'd love your thoughts on somebody listening and going how do i apply data with regards to football clubs that that would be really helpful yeah well it ties into that everything that we've discussed so far because as a marketeer you need to understand who are your audiences what would be their values what who are they in general and that is what data can help you with is by not making data the most important thing of the club, but it's <clears throat> it's one extra source of information, but a very reliable one that we can now utilize as sports organizations to indeed understand the, the in German, they say the umfeld, which is a very nice word for it, the umfeld of where you are operating in. Instead of us debating like this, it would be great to actually have the listeners data to understand, oh, wait a minute, they actually live here and this is their age and this is what they value and this is the other podcast they listen to. Because data helps you understand the, those kind of profiles and it kind of makes you, gives you this extra focus to be more um, precise with your marketing campaigns and your marketing strategy. Okay, let's do a little fun case study and you don't know about this. I'm putting you on the spot. Let's say somebody's okay. listening They've got the Instagram account. There's data analytics they can get access to because, or we could say Facebook, let's just stick to Instagram on their own accounts. Like what guidance would you give with regard? Like for me, like that's what I do. I always look at my data analytics on my Instagram just for curiosity, looking at my content. So for a listener as a little case study example, like how could they use Instagram insights as a way of being a slightly better with data analytics? with regards to their content or what they post? I'm going to disappoint you here. Oh. I, I haven't used Instagram for like three, four years. And that is for the basic reason that it got me very depressed. Everyone always seemed to have a better life than me, which is ridiculous because again, from the communications background, I understand that everyone's only uh, posting their highlights. So I haven't looked into that in a very long time. But let's do twitter let's do twitter then because you do use that that's my, do that's that. my field yeah yeah um well what you could do with with the twitter data I, uh, mostly i work with company crm data actually but with twitter data for example exercises that i've done in the past is actually by downloading um people's streams just to understand how they sit on different topics. Let me give an example. Uh, data analytics with, uh, with Twitter can be very useful when there are lively debates where audiences on Twitter are talking about because data analytics can help you. Okay, let's first pull all those tweets into an Excel sheet or in, in Python or whatever. And, uh, and using machine learning, you can actually understand, okay, what's the, the language that's being used? So with Trump and Biden, for example, I was able to predict an hour before who was going to win because you could actually tell that by how people were tweeting, 
that there was a big, uh, uh, there was a lot of positive sentiment on, on Trump. And that started to decline over the day and over the night. That started to decline the, the, the Trump positivity. And Biden was very uh, stable and it actually started to climb a bit as well. So you could tell that at some point there was this, this where both lines were crossing. And that's the moment where you could kind of predict like, hey, wait a minute. But there's so many, there's now users of Twitter are so much more, becoming so much more positive about Biden compared to Trump pretty sure that that this is some sort of a make or break moment where i can predict that he's going to win and in the end trump lost and biden won but this is how techniques like machine learning and text textual analysis this is stuff we don't do in sports at all yet very amazing field that is not being discovered yet but this is how you could use twitter data okay so from that one skill you've just mentioned of that example how has that supported you with regards to the current work you're doing at Ernst & Young, because that's a huge organization, data-driven. So I just want the listener to learn the skills that could lead to other opportunities. I just love your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, this is a very nice move that I've tried to make for my career because I worked at AZ for three years, which is great. I learned a lot about football, but I also learned that there were quite some areas that football hasn't tapped into yet, which I do want to learn about. So understanding better on content analytics, for example, like with your podcast, for example, who listens to uh, to this podcast? How far do they get into this podcast? Do they click it or click it away after 10 minutes? Then that's something for you that you would know, hey, I need to uh, improve my introductions or whatever. This is how you do content analytics as well. And that's stuff I've done in news media. Now I've moved to Ernst & Young and at, in news media, I've learned how to program. And that's where the complete toolkit of data analytics opened up to me because that's all the sudden where I've learned, hey, there's so much data analytics out there that we're not using in, in football yet. And this is what I'm learning now at EY, how to apply machine learning better, but also what big big organizations in uh, Europe are still struggling with. And the most recent insight that I've learned is that even though we always think that the sports industry and the football industry is so far behind, I kind of start seeing the same kind of questions again with the companies that we would expect to be very advanced. Uh, there are still questions being asked by very large corporations on who exactly is my audience can we do a customer segmentation to better understand who uses our product or who buys our product? Those kind of questions that kind of struck me as well by, I've, I always used to say that football industry is so extremely far behind. Yes, we are in the football industry, but not as far behind as I thought. Just in that point far behind, do you just mean operation standpoint? Is that what you mean with that phrase? Data, using data, using, using data, data to optimize. Yeah. Using data to optimize marketing. There's still a lot of work that being done by these big four consultancies, which is operational digital marketing. So and that surprised me a bit as well. Um, but then it's also nice to understand for the football industry here that we're still struggling with the same things. Now, looping this back into that learning area, remember where I said uh, with all these Eredivisie clubs and one being better at a specific discipline than the other. At these these consultancies that I work at Ernst Young in this example where I work at, we started to try to find these, these specialties of each industry together. So we can 
we can understand that in sports merchandising, there are specific skills very highly developed that are not as high developed yet in e-commerce areas, in other e-commerce areas, for example. And that's that's the beauty of these kind of uh, consultancy roles that you can kind of, you're looking in, we it's a Dutch saying, I think, uh, looking in someone's kitchen, kind of seeing what's, what's happening there, looking behind the curtains better. We are able to see behind so many curtains that we're starting to understand like, okay, oh wait, this company is really good at that. This company is really good at that. Can we pick the learnings from company A and apply it to company B and the other way around as well? And that's, that's I think- like split testing in a way, split kind testing. Of, uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. We apply one thing here, we apply it over there and then see, uh, see which ones uh, improves the most. So hold on, just have a little time out because this is fascinating. Like from a sort of digital marketing perspective, like how important is like observing to make effective decisions? Because you've just said it there. I can see you in the camera, but for the listener, like that's one skill I've just seen with your body language. The key of being a good marketer is analyzing all the data, seeing, being a bit patient, then hitting one's metric to make a decision from like how big is that as a skill? from your experience? Very important. Uh, in marketing, um, sports marketing as well, where observation is data. So what you're, what, if we look at each other, that's data, that's information. Now, all the information is data. And, the, and the, the most difficult area is to translate all this information into human interpretable data. Now, this is the area where deep learning is very, very, becomes very difficult because that, that kind of, stays in that abstract area of, of still seeing stuff. It's, it's recognizing stuff on images, for example, with Google images, very advanced kind of stuff. But what we're doing, observation, is also data. And this is something that where I think that I can loop back fan engagement, because fan engagement is this, it used to be also a bit this, this uh, the big layer of fluffiness around it and floating around on a, on a pink cloud uh, fan engagement. Yeah, that's great, but how, what can we do with it? Research is very important in fan engagement because that helps you to understand what do my fans need, what do they miss, what do they think that we're doing well. And part of fan engagement is we, this is why I feel fan engagement is also very closely related to social scientific research because observational research is very important in, in fan engagement. It's stuff that I've done uh, for UEFA Grow. It's stuff that I've done at clubs here in the Netherlands, but also a lot in my own club. Because let's be honest, if you work at a club, when is the last time that you have walked the fan walk? Probably a very long time ago. And if you have not done that in a while, how are you sure that you know exactly what your fans want? Very difficult. I think that walking the fan walk will help you to see what the fans see, will help you to experience what the fans experience. My beer is always warm. The toilets are dirty. Uh, my, it takes me ages to get my drinks. If you do the fan walk, which is observational research, which is what you just talked about, that's where you can make the quick, rapid improvements. This is not something that data analytics does when you work with CRM data or stuff. Yeah, you could send out a survey and do data analytics on that. But it's a combination of research methods like observation and data analytics that then makes it a powerful yeah, source of information. You test me again, my man. I think it's ethnography research methods here when you're in the shoes of the subject. So if you're 
doing your research studies, this is why it's important. So, Bas, thank you so much for sharing that. Now I want to talk about really quickly from a football industry perspective. One thing I've learned about people who want to pursue a career in the football industry is being mindful of different cultures. Like football is the language for all, but working in different countries, working in different sectors, like reflecting of your career, like how have you seen culture have an influence from a working experience perspective? Uh, Quite big, because again, working in sports is yeah ingrained in in national cultures coming to the basics of the dutch are very blunt we just spit out what we think and then think about uh, someone else's feelings where some other cultures are more strategic about it like belgium culture is very strategic about it so i've worked with a belgian club which was also uh, i noticed that it's only 200 kilometers away but there's still so much difference in the in the way of how you communicate and my girlfriend's italian for example her her culture is again so completely different than mine so this is something that you should be always mindful of when you work in sports it is a multi multicultural environment i'm pretty sure that a lot of people experience this in their jobs already if if not then they experience it in the local community so i'm, I'm pretty sure that everyone must have had their experience in this multi multicultural environment as well. I've, I've lived in Australia, for example, completely different people than what I was used to in, in Europe. Very, very cool, very chill, very laid back. You could tell them way more than, than in some, some cultures here or Dutch people are stepped on their toes way quicker than the Australians, for example. Very, their sense of humor is very... so, And that's, that's the beauty of our industry as well. There's so much going on. Absolutely. I think it's more for students. Some, and I'm going to put my hand up when I was at Durham, like you're studying sport. But then when you get out there, it's something you said the key word. It's just being mindful. That's what I'm and like football industry. There's the fun side, but also understanding cultures makes life easier. And actually, it's so much more enjoyable as well. Like I cannot express how much. of Yeah, carry on. It's also so important that what I learned when I joined AZ, I thought that I knew it all because I had a master's degree and a bachelor's degree and whatever. And then you enter the workforce and you understand you know nothing. You have to learn everything. Office politics, there is not a single course at university that tells you something about office politics. And this area is fundamental in sports as well. Office politics, who can handle what and what not. And this is something that happens also in the other industries. But I've, I've found that sports industry is particularly sensitive to these kind of things. Hey, thank you for sharing that. I think it's important because hopefully the listeners can be mindful when they apply, when they put themselves out there and when they start conversations with sports industry professionals. Look, Bass, I cannot express how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Out of interest, though, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now? Oh, the emotional roller coaster that you're on. That's such a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, emotional roller coaster, not a, not a single week is the same. And these are very cliche answers to give, but they're true. There's so much. Um, work at a football club, there you're never off. There's always, you're always on. There's always something going on. And there's no way of 5, uh, 5 p.m. closing your laptop, going home and living your life. You're always on. There's evening games, there's weekend games. And that's that's 
I found that as a downside at first, but it's actually a beautiful upside as well because it it feels like again you're also part of this this group and community of of, of local employees that are are managing this club together, and that's that's something that that roller coaster is something that I feel that very few jobs can provide. It's not a you know nine to five gig or it's a twenty four hour machine no, no. In the sports industry. It's, it <laughs> yes. So look. We've talked bags on this conversation, but I like to finish with an inspirational question and feel free to sort of revert back to some of your points. But to the fundamentals, like what three qualities would you give to the listener who want to pursue a career in sports marketing so they can put them into practice straight after this podcast? What would those three qualities be? Be patient and humble, I think is always good, but also stamp with your foot on the floor if you think that's the right thing to do but that's very difficult if you're beginning in the workforce to do so um but it's a very it's a very um alpha culture so you really need to sometimes not the best not the person with the best arguments wins the conversation so that's a very interesting to be mindful of i've made that mistake at asset altmeyer quite a few times where i thought hey i have the best arguments i have data here and yet the decision was completely something different that happens quite a bit. And that this is something that, uh, what's her name again, her last name, Jess Smith, I think, does on Twitter a lot. She's very interesting. War Jess Eagle, I think, is her Twitter handle. She often posts stuff like this because she works in digital, uh, in the digital domain. And every now and then she puts a post online like this of like what, what, what it is like to work in the sports industry. And so often her words are very true. These kind of things like, as a, as a as a social as a digital marketer or a social media manager and you're never off you're always protecting the brand and you're the, you're the one that sits between a ceo and and tens or hundreds of thousands of fans so you're you're in such a vital role and these this is very um, very good to realize as well that you're you're sitting in a key position in sports Whatever you do, you're in a key position. So that's that's um, interesting to, to realize. And the humbleness that she describes is also humble, but uh, yeah, stamp on the ground if you think it's necessary. Now, another thing is is what, what that applies to every industry. Always keep learning. Don't think that you're you're done already. Work now for many years in the, in the sports industry. I've done my bachelor's degree. I've done my master's degree. I realized also that in the data analytics, I've none of those degrees were data analytics, yet I work in data analytics. I've, I'm now doing a postgraduate degree in, in big data and analytics for management because I understand that there are people that know things better than I do. And I shouldn't try to level with their expertise, but at least I should understand what they're talking about. So I tapped into that for a slight bit, deep learning, very difficult, but on the rough outlines, I now understand, thanks to this degree, I now kind of understand what these people are going, uh, what, what they're doing. And this is important in the football industry as well, which is an industry that changes so much. There's so much change happening in the sports industry. So if you think that you've done your bachelor or your bachelor and master's degree and that's it for the rest of your life, think again. This, this workforce requires constant upskilling or else you're out. I hope people have taken notes. So be humble, upskill, and I like your point with the to put your foot down. It's more like, you know, put value out there, but be confident in what you're about to say. I love that point of putting your foot down. 
Look, Bass, again, I hope the listeners put those qualities into place. Out of interest, how can people interact with you online? No nicknames. Um, I can be found everywhere with my first and my last name on Twitter, on LinkedIn. I have my website, Fan Engagement. I should update that more often, but I would say LinkedIn is is the place to go to uh, where I post stories. And Twitter is somewhere. It's I wake up with Twitter and I go to bed with Twitter. So that's that's definitely uh, my daily uh, channel. Amazing. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat. Bass, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Completely agree. Thank you. Wow, what a conversation. I hope now you realize why I was so keen to have Bass on the show, just with regards to his expertise, his knowledge, but also his attention to detail on certain broad topics like how to be better at marketing and sports. And he really managed to go in depth with regards to the core skills or the hard skills with regards to how to be an effective marketer in the sports industry from a data analytics slash strategy perspective. But I just could have talked so much more with Bass on certain topics. We could have gone in a lot more depth from a data standpoint, but from a listening experience and you want to pursue a career in the sports industry, particularly with regards to data analytics and marketing, I hope you can see the connection between both. Number one. Number two, I hope you also realize the importance of the human aspect of marketing as well, because that's the thing I enjoyed what Bass was saying. He said data is used as a tool, you know, an additional resource, but you still need, this is related to fan engagement, that, you know, journey of a fan going to a sporting event. You still need that data, observation data, to make the experience better for a fan or for the club to make sure it's all utilized effectively from an overall experience. So I really do hope you found this helpful. This is probably a podcast I'll have to re-listen again to really take notes in how I can elevate my podcast experience because data is just using the metrics and then making decisions off those metrics to make something better. So on that note, I hope you can put at least one aspect what Bash shared with you, how to be a better marketer or how to use data more effectively. Please let me know on Twitter at edbowers101. I'd love to hear your biggest takeaway. But from a sports career development standpoint, I hope you enjoyed what Bass was saying from his three qualities to work in the football or sports industry, particularly the one of like being humble, you know, especially in a working environment like the part he was talking about, like work politics. It is important because it's how we communicate with others to make an overall decision to get something done and the part where he said being humble but also putting your foot down when you've got that firm belief in what you believe in is the right decision I think you've got to have courage without a doubt with regards to sharing your ideas putting your voice out there because it is how one you stand out in a way but also improves your confidence. That's the biggest thing I've even learned, even when I do collaborations. I always want to make sure everybody who I'm collaborating has the chance to share their voice, point of view, or a an idea or a goal that can elevate the overall project we're trying to achieve from that. So again, I hope you put those qualities into practice right now after listening to this podcast into action and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Bass said, be patient, be humble, and keep learning because working in sports requires consistent upskilling in what you do. If not, you're finished. <laughs>